Joie de vivre. We know it's joy of life. What does that mean? It doesn't mean being happy all the time, but I think it means seeing the positivity in every opportunity. Do I wake up happy? No. So do you have to get into that frame of mind? I walk from Shepherd's Bush, I get some good music on, I'm building up the good vibes, and then I come in, I'm ready, I'm happy. When I originally started this company, my strapline was workers play. I observed that you don't have to pay kids. You don't have to say, oh, could you build this Lego? I'll give you 10 pounds. You just put the Lego and they're just like, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> and if you think about employee engagement, what we want from our teams, we want them to engage in their work as if they were a child doing something they enjoy. Hello and welcome to Sparks, a series by Interactive Workshops. I'm Chris Lisserman and we are sparking things in work and life from how to spark performance, from how to spark culture to how to spark our special guest. Rachel, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do here at Interactive Workshops? I absolutely can. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm a producer. I have a lot of fun here. I have the pleasure of working lots with Chris and with Jonna, and I love working with both of you. It's fun. It's a roller coaster. Um, we spent a lot of fun times in Toulouse working with Airbus. Um, also, I've been jet setting a little bit going around uh, the world a little bit. So I've been to Dubai. Yeah, that's fun. Isn't it? What a cultural that's very experience. Fun. Very fun. Very enjoyable. Were you working out there on leadership development with Savills by any chance? Of course I was. How did yeah, you know? I saw the photos on LinkedIn. Yeah, videos as well. And, and videos, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to say I sort of made a bit of a face for myself out there. You made a face for yourself. I made a yeah. name for myself. <laughs> you made a name <laughs> for your face. Made a name for your face. That's My good. face is out there in Dubai. That's good. <laughs> there we go. And that, I mean, we've had a quite, we've been quite silly so far, but yeah, that brings us have. to the topic of today's podcast. And it's, it's turned out to be harder to do a podcast on this than we thought because we've had so much fun. Yeah. Joie de vivre. Oh God, I thought that was my word, surely. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, three sorry. Of us. Okay, joie de vivre. Okay, joie de vivre. Joie de vivre. How to spark... Joie de vivre. What, Chris? Why are we talking about how to spark joie I mean, vivre? there's already been a bit of a joie de vivre from this... Excuse my French, by the way. Is it French? I believe it might be, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I don't know what it means, but Joy maybe we'll life. work that out. Joy of life. Joy of life. It all mm. makes sense now. There has been that little bit of joy mm. to, to what we've been bringing to the podcast today. And I think it's quite key to our company culture as well. It's quite key to definitely what Rachel brings as well. Definitely. I wanted to get started. So this is so we've worked with you for quite a while now. And what I've noticed is Something, some people, when they turn up for work every day, they're in a positive frame of mind. You never really know if it's true or whether it's a choice. Chris, for example, I know it doesn't really matter if it's choice, choice. He will choose me broadly the same. You, choice or natural, just happy to be here. Do you want the honest answer? Yes. yes. <laughs> I do like being here, of course. Okay. Do I love a Monday morning commute? No. Yeah, you do, don't you? No. no. I do have quite a long commute. So I do have to gear myself up a little bit sometimes. So you gear yourself? I, I gear myself up. I Yeah. I set myself up for the day. Yeah. Okay. Do I wake up happy? No. You don't? Well, mm. I do sometimes, but I, I, I'm not a morning person, I'll admit. So do you have to get into that frame of mind? You have I to do. say, right, I'm going to be... I'm going to bring a positive self today. I do. I don't put a mask on. No, you know, you can I see am, that. 
I am myself. But you're just you're faking times. it. <laughs> no. 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 I just you know I'm I'm walking. I walk from Shepherd's Bush. You know I'm walking. I'm walking. I'm walking. I get some good music on. I'm building up the good vibes, and then I come in. I'm ready. I'm happy. Okay. All right. I believe in this process. I also yeah. do the same thing. It's not wrong, is it? It's not a problem. But why do you do that? Why don't you just turn up in your natural, however you're feeling? Really good question. Mm. Well, that's why I'm a professional podcaster. That's kind of what we're here to do. Great. Thanks, Jonna. Um, do, <laughs> I don't really know, but I guess a big part of working at Interactive Workshops is we have a lot of fun and we bring a lot of energy. So if I turned up on a Monday morning feeling a bit glum I could become a bit of a bit of a drain and okay. I think we'd rather be a bit of a radiator radiator or drain Chris much rather be a radiator I'd rather we'd be a much radiator. rather be around radiators than drains as well exactly just a question on radiators I just love the fact that they used to always be at the same place under the window and yeah. then a few years ago all kinds of creative artworks made out of radiators uh vertical, patterned, but I'd much rather be a radiator mm. than yeah. a drain. Also, you don't really want a radiator under a window. <laughs> Defeats the point, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. It's true, but I guess it's to replicate the heat of the sunshine coming through the glass. Mm. Replicate the heat of the... <laughs> no, it's not, is it? No. Probably not. Okay. No. So you choose, you make a choice. I do. You'd rather be a radiator? Yeah. So does that mean that that's, is your joie de vivre not authentic then? Because you've been invited here as an expert. You seem to have a lot of joie de vivre. Always ready for a laugh. Mm. Um, Can we stop and try and define exactly what joie de vivre is? We know it's joy of life. But what does that mean? Great what do you question. think, Rach? I think it means... Not. It doesn't mean being happy all the time. Okay. Because Good I think start. that's impossible. Okay. But I think it means seeing the positivity in every opportunity. Finding, seeing. No, it's good. Oh, good. I think good that's start. what we're doing. That's why we've got this whole podcast. That's how we're in this industry. Yeah. yeah. There is, there is some, under every stone something positive, isn't there? Even under the weight Definitely. of something bad, you can find a, a glimpse. It's not always appropriate to find a, a, a radiant, bright full mm. sun mm. but you might need an end light at the end of the tunnel for yeah. example in that situation but that should be if there's an expression for that, that to kind of capture yeah. that what that would be helpful what a fantastic it? concept yeah. <laughs> you're in a dark tunnel but there's actually the, light the spark at the end of the yeah distance if there's only a kind of just a common phrase yeah like the like glimmer on the horizon of the yeah, tunnel something like that. that yeah 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 that glimmer on the horizon we might need yeah 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 we need that don't we but it's, you're saying it's not bad to it's not bad to be down not at all sad and happiness is different to joy as well, we might be saying as well. In that you're saying you can't be happy all the time. No. But you can bring something that's joyous yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. Why do you do that though? Why not just turn up with a bit of moot, mute, sort of glumness? What is it? There's something about, must be something about your life choices, about your philosophy for life that you think it's not, it can't just be because you work at interactive workshops. If you worked in the yeah. rail industry and you're a, mm. a platform attendant, you also would do the same thing. I think it's part of the way you go about life. That, that must lead to your life philosophy. Interesting. Interesting segue there. Mm. Um, it probably does, yeah. I actually studied philosophy. Mm. That's why you've got a job here. Yeah. 
Interesting. It's a good way to get a job here, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I've got a keen interest in philosophy. Um, I-, I asked you when you were in job interview here, we did speak about this on a previous pod, but tell us about your philosophy for, for life and what you consider to, in order to find that glimmer that we just spoke about. Yeah. So my, my life philosophy can sound a bit morbid on the surface, um, but it, it originates from an interest that I had when I was at university in existential philosophy or phenomenology. Phenomenology. Love it. Phenomenology. Mm-hmm. Study of phenomenon. Right. Um, Makes sense. The phenomenon of life. Wow. So I have always, since a young age, had a real interest in like, what is the meaning of life? I remember when I was really young, my dad used to um, used to tell me about the universe and he used to, I've got a twin sister, so he used to um, tell us a bedtime story which was about the meaning of life or about what was up in the sky beyond mm. the earth. And so since five or six years old, I've always been interested in deeper meanings and bigger questions, much to my parents' discontent because it meant <laughs> I always asked why. Um, a lot, but so yeah, going going back to university when I was studying existentialism, I came across an interesting philosopher called Heidegger, Martin Heidegger, and Heidegger has a really interesting concept um, about the meaning of life, and he comes up with this idea of authenticity and how as human beings we strive, we always strive to be authentic, but we are never fully authentic, and to be fully authentic. You have to, in every single moment of your entire life, you have to live with an awareness of the ultimate possibility of your death. So every opportunity, every decision, every thought is almost burdened by death as an ultimate limiting factor. So bear with me. (laughs) Sounds quite intense. It's getting quite heavy, isn't it? But this is good. Wow. We're bearing with. It, It gets better. So... You might call that a burden because it sounds like at all times you should be thinking of your own death. But Heidegger frames it in a way that it's an opportunity for you to see how unique your life is and how you should always live with an awareness that life is not given and that actually we can choose to live in every moment. I'm just going to say that again for emphasis. We can choose to live in every moment can kind of see it on the uh, on the LinkedIn post. Mm. <laughs> what, what does that mean to live in every moment? Does that change? Should that change the way you live in every moment? I think so. I think what it means, and this is just my personal interpretation. So, but you're the expert on the podcast. That's why I got you here. So don't apologise for that. I'll right. take it. I'll take it. Um, I think it means that your life theoretically could end at any given moment. Mm. We never know when we're going to die, but if we always have an understanding that we shouldn't take our life for granted Mm. and that every moment is an opportunity and that every possibility can lead us in a new direction and the world is an endless set of opportunities and possibilities Mm. and like what, what an amazing, fantastic way to live your life. Agree. It's true. Chris, hard to argue with. I I don't think I think about my own death very regularly. Think about it. To be honest. Where would you like to be buried, Chris? <laughs> Let's think about it. I know where I, I, know where, where I want to go. Where do you want to go? South Downs. 
South Downs. Yeah, I've got the spot in mind just above Sullington. Oh, yeah. There's a nice little... In fact, the reason why I say is that once I was out hiking and I saw someone else's scatter, ashes scattered there, mm. I thought, this is a girl, I'll go, I'll go there. Mm. Well, I, I haven't told enough people. But where, where would you go, Chris? Somewhere in the Midlands? Uh, actually, I think I'd like to be sent out to sea or something like that. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much space. You know, the other people are going to come old, and go. The old Viking ship funeral. Yeah. In fact, uh, like some kind, some kind of Star Wars, like up in flames, burial would be, wow. yeah, be kind of cool. I, I don't know what you think as a professional it? philosopher, but I think he's still in denial about thinking about his own death because he's using a fantasy. 100%. Yeah. So. I, it is a fantasy for me. I'll be dead. Yeah. But the reality is it, it won't be like that. Well, it's not, you're unlikely to be on a ship sent out to sea, Chris. Why not? <laughs> Do I not get to choose? Because you'll, really you'll be really in every old. You'll be really old and your, your, your children and your grandchildren can't be bothered to get a ship and burn It's going to be decided it? for me, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Have you got a will? It's lost my joie de vivre a little you, bit. Have you got a will, Chris? <laughs> no, I don't have a will. Have you got yet. a will? No. Guys, come on. You got, that's, that's another chance to contemplate. Not old enough. Not old enough but surely. your psychology of life is about living in yeah. perception of your own death. Yeah. Yes. But that doesn't mean that I'm constantly thinking I'm going to die. But yeah, I okay, should probably get a, I'll, I'll write a will. Yeah, I can introduce you to my sister who from Hope Solicitors. That's good. Oh, nice. mm. It's interesting what you're saying. So I'd like to just recap a little bit because what you described, you talked about your childhood, you talked about your dad. God, I love your dad. I don't know, but I'm sure he's great. Tony. Tony. And your mum actually is a fan of the pod. She is. Shout out. Hi, Shout mom. out there. Hi, Denise. Denise. Shout out to Denise. Actually, I, I remembered that one or two of your family members have also linked in, connected with me. Probably yeah. Tony, actually. Probably. Shout out, Tony. Uh, but well, I've, I recently noticed that uh, people often say, well, the universe sent me this and the universe did that. But it's actually exactly the same as what people used to say about God, whether you have capital G or small g. Right. They used to say... Good and bad stuff. Came something has come God. my way. Yeah, it's come my way. way. Mm. And then, and now everyone says, oh yeah, well the universe is trying to tell you something. But in the past, they just say, God mm. is trying to tell you something. Mm. And it seems to be interesting that as human beings, we it, now, even though we're in now what was probably the most atheistic times of all times, we actually still need this mysterious force to send us things or tell us things. Or mm. I, I just wonder whether it's part of the human condition that actually this kind of belief in something bigger than ourselves is necessary. Like, there are fatalistic people who believe there's nothing else and it's all completely pointless. But but it's interesting how in common society, not necessarily philosophy and experts, but in common society, now people broadly say, well, the universe has sent me something, mm. which is like just a hundred years ago. They say, well, God sent me something. Mm. It's interesting that we've got that kind of need. Do you think we've got a, a primeval need? Some people believe we've got a kind of innate need to think there's something bigger than us. Yeah. I think if you think it's just us... Mm it leaves a lot of responsibility with just the decisions that you make and the choices you make. So if you have a, a sense that someone out there is pulling the strings, mm. then it takes a little bit of the burden away from responsibility. But do you think that takes away from your your con your thought process about contemplating what really matters in the short life you've got? Like if we say, yeah. well, and it's just a bit of luck and things may or may not happen to me, but do you think that takes away by saying, well, actually, it's not really all about me, so it's not really about my choices. Maybe. Because other things are going to influence me as well. Yeah, I mean, I know that, for example, Heidegger would, um, do I know his religious status? No, I think he probably was an atheist. Got to be an atheist, um, yeah, probably. Fact check needed. But he would definitely argue that it's all about the decisions that you make, the choices that you make. And, and that's also why he says you can actually never truly lead a fully authentic life because as humans... We're not always in control of our minds. Um, and that's not to say that other people are in control of our minds, but it's more like we're not 
great at having uh, a really good awareness all the time. Like we can't always be thinking of the ultimate horizon, the ultimate limit, which is death. We get distracted, basically. Exactly. We procrastinate. Exactly. We're, we're, uh, we um, are fallible. Mm. Sometimes do what we don't want to do. Yeah. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you think, so cats, do you think they always land on their feet? No. no. They can't, can they? But they, we think, we're told we think that they do. But I, I think they do more than other animals. I yeah. bet occasionally That's some just break their back and die. <laughs> but we don't hear those stories. No, we don't. But yeah, we've got this. We've got this kind of feeling that the, the way the world works, so things always lives. turn out. Yeah, we've got nine lives. The cat lands on it, but sometimes the cat must mess it up. And I think that's a little bit yeah. what you're alluding to. We're not. We're very fallible. Mm. Uh, I, I also did a research project on what makes people lucky really? uh, when I was in my early career, and there were some very interesting intellectual parts to what we would call luck. But for example, people who believe themselves to be lucky, when a good thing happens, they make themselves part of the act of the story about what made it happen mm. and when bad things happen they don't right when good things happen they make it they think that they say that this will continue and it's a kind of permanent state and when bad things happen they explain it to themselves as something that's temporary so if they're crossing by a road and they get just clipped by a car they'll just say oh that's so incredible that's that's never happened to me in london before and that and it it probably won't happen again whereas if, if uh, they found a five pounds in the street, they say, wow, look at me, I'm so lucky. I just, I've always got my eyes open, I'm always seeing things. <laughs> so they explain the different phenomena in different ways. Mm. And I think that also your kind of conception of whether it's what's good happens to you or what comes to you, but it's also how you then program yourself with that thinking, whether you uh, make yourself the active agent of good, yeah. whether you think actually just, you know, you're just passive and just things happen to you. But it was interesting that people who are perceived to be lucky they have this quite centered approach to the good things, but bad things they say, oh, it's temporary or it just, it was a one off or it was. Yeah. It's also actually generalizing whether it will happen everywhere. So for example, let's say you get delayed at an airport. If you're, oh yeah, I'm always unlucky. I always get delayed. Not just, I, but isn't it just that you just get delayed because you're flying out Heathrow a lot and there's a lot of days. No, no, no. It's every airport. I always get delayed. Whereas like a person who's got a lucky mindset would say, oh yeah, do you know what? I do seem to get delayed a lot out of Heathrow, but that's, you know, only Heathrow, all the other airports fine. So they don't generalize it to all different places. Interesting. Would you, do you think you're lucky? Or what? How does that fit in, Rachie? I, do you know what my gut is saying? I, I actually don't think I'm a lucky person. Mm. But I don't think I'm unlucky. <laughs> so. I had a dog yes, like I'm that. out of discussion. I had a dog like that. So it, was not, it, was not, it was not lucky. And it was not unlucky. Very hard to call it. Didn't have a name. <laughs> okay, I, I don't think I believe in luck. I'll put that out do there. Do you not? I don't believe in luck. That's I think. Would you I'm believe thinking... in chance? Um, what do you mean by chance? Well, so, you, well, if you don't believe in luck, what do you think is going to happen when you toss a coin? If you call heads or tails, it's just chance, isn't it? That it's heads or tails. I do believe in chance. Yeah. Okay. Do you believe in fate? Do you believe in fate? I don't believe in fate. I think in the sort of popular definition of fate. Okay. I think I do. Oh, Jeez. good. Okay. I think I do. I don't know. I think... Some things are meant to be. Some things are meant to be and what happens to you is not necessarily about luck or chance. It's about... I think fate is also about making it happen. Like having an awareness of what is your destiny and then going and getting it, like manifesting it. Do you? 
I'm, I'm sort of cringing myself out yeah, a little yeah. bit by saying it, but <laughs> but it it, um, it links to to what you're saying. I don't. I think what you describe, you don't actually fully believe in fate. But I think what you believe is that there's. It seems to say if you make a sequence of choices in a certain direction, if you keep alert and aware and keep making informed choices, mm. it leads you on a on a journey towards where you want to get to, and whether that's success or Crete, whichever wherever you're trying to get to. Mm. You could be if you keep there. making good choices, yeah. it's more likely you'll get there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, find a life partner, get fit, do a pull-up. This is something I know Rachel's trying to do. But <laughs> if you keep making the right choices to be able to do a pull-up, mm. eventually you'll be able to do one. Yeah. Right? I'm trying. People say you make your own luck as well. Yeah. So the, you put yourself in a place. Especially lucky people say that. Yeah, they say that a lot, yeah. But if you won the lottery... Or successful people as well. If you won the lottery, would, would you say, oh, that was lucky? Or would you say, I bought a ticket? What would you say? I would say bought a ticket. I made it happen. Would you say that? I'd probably say I was lucky. Would you? <laughs> would <laughs> Even you? though I don't believe in luck. <laughs> I mean, what are the chances? <laughs> well, you can. I can tell you exactly what the chances are. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's yeah. interesting that how you, your explanatory style, mm. whether you mm. whether you think that it's luck, whether you put yourself in the centre of that. Mm. Heidegger would say you are in the centre of it. Keep making good choices. Yeah. Even if things get bad, even if it's difficult. Mm. Uh, but also we're fallible. You, you won't always be in a good state of mind, which again, if you think about the zeitgeist of our times, absolute fascination with mental health. And yet there's also a bit of a disjunct about the causes of ill health and ill mental health. Mm. And it, the better choices, we can't always make good choices, but the better choices we make, the better mental health we'll have. Even though we, we may also sometimes be ill. The same with other illnesses. If we make healthy choices with what we eat, if, if I ate less um, of my daughter's jelly beans <laughs> and more broccoli, it, there's a chance I could be healthier. Yeah. You get to that destination eventually. I could, I could get to that destination, yeah. yeah. Going back to Heidegger for a second. Oh, come on. Go on then. Okay, well, last thing, um, because I've missed the crucial part of it. So although Heidegger talks a lot about authenticity and yourself and your own actions, mm. um, he also talks a lot about community Doesn't he? and about how authenticity as a state is impossible to reach by yourself um, and that you need a community around you. 100%. Acting towards the same sort of 100%. Yeah. Also, a community. So I don't think you can really know yourself without other people. I think that your identity is a social phenomena yeah. and it's what people project onto you. And I've really experienced this when I left corporate world and become a freelancer, work by myself. I sat at home all day. There was no one to tell me who I am. So if I woke up in the morning and I felt bad or bored or lonely, mm. there was no one to go, hey, Johnny, you're really fun. You're really exciting. You're really sporty. You're really... It's just me trying to conjure up my own self. Whereas when you're in a social environment with other people, even if you're really boring, everyone will say to you, oh, yeah, that's Chris. He's really boring. Like, at least they'll reinforce... People want you, people, commitment uh, commitment to consistency. Yeah. People want you to be the person that you always were. Mm. I think it's also why it really annoys us if our parents change. Is it, have you ever had that? Definitely, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's an, really annoying, isn't it? It's frustrating. You want them to go back to how they always were. Yeah. When you're growing up. Yeah. Have your parents changed? No. Tony and Denise? No. No. Always the same. But if, if our significant people around us, if they somehow go through a life event and change, mm. it's really, we feel it's really annoying because we want them to be the person they always were. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but our, I, I think that our community helps us see who we are. And without that, we're a bit lost. And then coming to the world of work, if you think about hybrid working, I was with someone at the weekend 
I was at a wedding. They work from home permanently, going to the office twice a week. They're, they're missing out on the reinforcement from their colleagues of who they are with all their quirks and all mm. their warts and all. But maybe they don't need that. Maybe, okay. <laughs> maybe they don't. But I thought Heidi was saying that we all need it. No, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking anecdotally, but, you know, some people really don't need anyone to tell them who they are. Not to tell them, but to reinforce. Or to reinforce. I think reinforce. Do we lose that if we don't get that from community? Do we lose kind of who we are? I think so. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if you if you think about the way we punish people in society is we put them in social isolation, in prison. Uh, if they're naughty in prison, we put them in uh, isolation. Children at school, detention, and then maybe isolation. Mm. Why is it that when we want to punish people for murder, we put them in isolation as the, this basically the loss of freedoms and being by yourself the worst thing we can do. Yeah. We don't beat them with lashes. No, it's our go-to punishment. Yeah. Isolation. What? It's non-violent, but it's horrible. Yeah. yeah. And yet some of us, we choose it for ourselves every day, just being by ourselves too much, in my opinion. So it's the best, worst punishment <laughs> or the worst, best <laughs> it's punishment. It's the best, worst punishment, yeah. And we do it to ourselves. Yeah. But we also, we do it to kids. We do it to yeah. time out on the... St- do you, would you go naughty step? I'm just thinking Rachel used to be a teacher. My daughter actually. isn't at that I age. Did. Yeah, you must have done did that kind of isolation Detention, punishment. time out or lashes? <laughs> <laughs> Never lashes, <laughs> ever. Uh, yeah. Detention, yeah. isolation, don't talk to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that's a removal of community, a removal of relationships, yeah. removal of interaction. Yeah, but I think that's because children crave attention and interaction and social proof. Mm. So if you remove that and then you've got um, sitting in, I mean, I don't fully agree with the concept of isolating children, especially in, in schools where you have those horrible like isolation blocks. They even have those panels so they can't see really? even the person. So a lot wow. of schools have that. Oh. It's being phased out because it's not very, mm. um, I don't know, it doesn't, doesn't sit right, does it? No. But um, there is something to be said about taking a child out of a social environment to punish them because it sort of like reminds them they can only sit with themselves and reflect on the actions they've, the choices they've made. Whereas if you like have a social punishment, you know, if you were to have a child being punished on a plate on a stage on a plate in a playground, they'd love it. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what though? If I was punished, enjoy it. I, I know children. I know I've got some teenage kids. I've got some teenage kids' friends. I know mm. some kids who get punished a lot. They're not sitting there reflecting on what they've done at all. No. Yeah. They're just thinking this is really boring. I'm just going to try and amuse myself. And then as soon as I can get out of here, I'm going to get out of here. It's probably going to happen again tomorrow. Uh, but that's also, if I was in prison, I would try and take your approach and I'd try and wake up daily and think, okay, how am I going to live my best life within this tiny four walls? I have actually been in prison. Mm. Okay. And the cells are terrifying. Being by yourself in those cells with the door lock is terrifying. Sorry, have you been in a prison cell with the door locks? Yep. Yep. In what? a category B prison. Wandsworth. Dartmoor. Why? Chris? Can't really talk about it. Really? <laughs> it is terrifying. Sounds terrifying. Oh, God. Okay. But it's supposed to be, isn't it? Yeah. It's supposed to be powerless and terrifying. Mm. But this is the whole the whole juxtaposition with what Heiger's saying is we've got this incredible life force. Mm. We can make these choices and what we do with it is up to us. Um, mm. I think that's incredible. Bringing it back into the work context, I'm thinking about when we want to not punish ourselves, but we want to go away and reflect, we want to improve, and often we'll go off on our own. 
we'll do a, a retreat or we'll just spend some time reflecting. And actually maybe what we're saying is don't do that kind of thing alone. You won't find as much out about yourself as if you did that with a coach or a mentor or a manager. I think you can. Self-reflection on your own is really good. But yeah, it's really interesting if we open the book of our lives to other people and say, could you help me with this? Mm. I was actually going to say, related to when we find ourselves in prison at work, meetings. A lot of people go to meetings and the senior person's talking or somebody's talking and other people are effectively trapped there for an hour and they don't have the agency to speak up. They don't have... Mm. They don't demand an agenda, for example, say, look, guys, I'm going to be here, but if I'm going to be here, I want to know what we're working on. How am I going to be involved in this? They just go there and they just accept the they're status. Stuck. They're, they're stuck. They're trapped. Some people are in those meetings mm. every day. I was in I a think very... It's a shocking number that are trapped in those kind of meetings. I was in a very, very long meeting last week for me, about six hours. But I was active, but there was at least one person there who said nothing for the entire six-hour meeting. And they just sat there. Wow. And, but I think they're there. They, th- they feel they have to be there. They can't get out. But isn't that's very mm. similar to prison as well. Mm. Trapped. Le plan vert. Le plan vert. Excuse you. Le plan vert. So it's a French phrase, which means the green plant. But it's about being... <laughs> Your French is exceptional, by the <laughs> way. Very good. We could never have guessed that. No. Le <laughs> plan vert. Some people might not know what that means. Okay. But metaphorically, it means blending into the background. Yeah. Ah, yes. The green plant. The green plant. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I guess that, that brings us back to our topic, which we started on the joie de vivre. We haven't, mm. we actually covered whatever the reverse of joie is. Quite a lot of dark thoughts, prison, mm. being trapped, death. Uh, death. Mm. But the point of it is to contrast with life. Yeah. We talked about we? choosing life. Mm. I'm thinking of train spotting now. There's a poster, choose life. We've talked about life philosophy. Mm. But I also. I actually, I don't know if you know this, but when I originally started this company, my strapline was work as play. Work is play. Work as play. Work as play. But I observed that you don't have to pay kids. You just give them a stamp it. You just give them Lego. You don't have to say, oh, could you build this Lego? I'll give you 10 pounds. You just put the Lego and they're just like, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you don't have to say, look, do you know what? I'll pay you 100,000 pounds a week to play football. You just bounce a football. There's no negotiations. There's no, there's on no that agent. Yeah. Should we go out of the back, son, and play football? You have to speak to my agent, actually. Yeah. So there's no, we don't. There's a lot of things that we don't really need to be paid for. Mm. And when I started this company, that was the strapline: workers play. I like it. And it, it lost us a lot of business because people thought we were a bit stupid <laughs> or silly. But the idea that if we're meaningfully engaged in things we enjoy, it should go above and beyond what, what we can be remunerated for. And if you think about employee engagement, what we want from our teams, we want them to turn up for work with maybe a chosen, but hopefully not a smile on their face, to engage in their work in a, a, as if they were a child doing something they enjoy, mm. Mm. rather than a dutiful employee ticking a box and writing a deck and you know pumping out some code and having a sales meeting, whatever it might be. Yeah, I think it's difficult to cultivate that environment though, because so I've got a background in being in school as a teacher, and there that that is a tough environment, and so coming here Mm. and that change where the the stakes feel lower, they're not really lower, um, but it feels like you're allowed more time to have fun. 
too probably possibly too much. Possibly too much. Definitely too much. I mean, it's funny. There's a cost to the P and L, isn't there? We actually have more people than we need mm. in order that. So we made less profit than we could with more people than we need in order that there's plenty of time for fun mm. and enough people to have fun with. And and I think if you look at most organisations in our sector that have a lot a smaller headcount for the P and L. And then, but then there's, there'll be a lot more hard work. There's a lot of hard work here, but my belief is that you should work hard intensively at times, sometimes, maybe for a long period of time, but it shouldn't be your every minute of every day because mm. that then di- uh, drains you and kind of diminishes you. Mm. Whereas if there's enough people, there's an expression that I'd, if, if there was a light that you got a lot of people to get it to work, many hands make light work. Is that right? Many hands make light work, yeah. But what it means is, I don't think it's to do with lights, I've just realised. No. <laughs> I think it's with lifting. Many hands yeah, make light yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? So here, I, I try, here we try to have a many hands make light work. Oh, there's a lot of lights out there now. Mm. But that's, again, that's a corporate choice. And I think a lot of companies, they're going the other way around, which is, uh, in, we, we go souls before goals. Yeah. Whereas they go goals before souls. Yeah. And because of that, then... Their goals are up there, souls are down here. Mm. Therefore, souls are working hard to get someone else's goals. Yeah. And that capacity enables a, a playful culture, yeah. which, I, which I think is a really good thing. And I like that workers play, maybe not as a strap line, but as a as a concept and as a culture. Mm. As a philosophy. I, I think as a philosophy. Yeah. I think it's a good one. IW philosophy. Yeah. I, I've thought before that people, I, I love games. I love playing games, board games, making things games, gamification of things. Mm. People will say, I, it's quite competitive. I'm not very competitive. I was trying to work out why do I keep wanting to play games or turn things into games when I'm not actually that competitive. I don't really mind if I win, but it's just, it's the attitude of play. Yeah. Can I, I just say I hate games? Do you hate games? You're just a sore loser, Rach. I, I often lose. I hate force fun. Right, and right. I, if you speak to anyone in my life, they know Monopoly, theme parks. Theme don't parks. like theme parks. I wouldn't go it's to theme parks. It's forced fun. Yeah, I know. So if I were to come here and I was starting, it's my first day at IW and it was like, let's play a game. I think I'd be out the door. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know what n- what not to do with Rach. Or play a game. Do. Games night tomorrow. Guys. <laughs> Games, yeah. I won't be there. No, but do you know what I mean? I, but but why, why do you hate the concept of a game? Just Cause, the force fun. Yeah, because I love fun and I love um, joie de vivre. But... It's lack of authenticity. Sorry, you'll have to translate that for us. I don't know. <laughs> um, the joy of life. I'm getting deja vu. <laughs> but it, it lacks authenticity. Right. Exactly. I'd much rather just sit sit around, have lunch with everyone and have a laugh. Mm. And that, that's what like drives me and motivates me and like the people element of it. When you get a board game out and the fun is confined. Yeah. I think that you, you, uh, you have... The skills, you've got very high level of interpersonal skills, so you can do unstructured, unforced, very, very fun. Mm. Some people need the board game. Some people like me. I had to can't be, can't be doing that. <laughs> Chris needs a board game. Yeah. You need it. Yeah. It's a springboard. It's, it's a springboard, for conversation, yeah. for fun, for a joke. I mean, why do you think Ross has to do uh, Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. You'll never, ever catch me doing Dungeons and Dragons. You would love it. Oh, yeah, it's performance. It's the best thing. It's I performance. like performing. Yeah. yeah, you'd love it. Uh, I had a group of teenage children around last night, actually, and we had to get the Uno cards out to create, because they're just sat there game. being slightly socially awkward. Mm. Yeah. And I wanted to integrate everybody, and I was trying to get people to talk to each other. So tell me, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. But why were you there, Jonna? 
Because I've they're at my house. <laughs> it's my kids' friends. Was that not obvious? <laughs> no, sorry. I had a group of teenage kids around at my house because they'd come over for dinner. Okay. Because I've got children. <laughs> but so did I they wanna... not maybe want to have fun by it's themselves? Just, it's just when the kids have got their mates over, they kind of separate and play with their individual friends. And we had them all around the table. I wanted to get something fun happening. Yeah. But to create the joie de vivre, I needed a game to, to keep their attention as a mechanism. I mean, they could be spontaneously as fun as you and I, but they're actually more like Chris. Yeah. I guess that's an interesting question then. So how how do you create joie de vivre? Well, can mm. I just, I just want to bang Sorry. on about this. Go on, yeah, go on. I'll I think work is the, is, the me- is the mechanism. I think, so I think that if we don't have a job and we don't have work, we've got no mechanism to create this. We wouldn't know each other. Yeah. And let's say we all just had our own allotment and we went down and grew the vegetables, went home and ate them and went home. Could do that. Could do, yeah. But, but what you create together, work is actually the structure like a game. Our sales meeting, our marketing meeting, coming up with marketing ideas, our podcast. These are all mediums upon which game-like we can make mm. fun. Yeah, and we level up and we get it done. And we, we can achieve. get level up. We can get a yeah. pay rise. We can get level up. Yeah. Get, um, you're a performer, so you get applause. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. Credits. There's, there's certain checkpoints on so, there. Social recognition. Yeah. Work is a brilliant medium for all these things. Yeah, I'm just remembering that IKEA. You've been through IKEA, through IKEA, right? No, I've never heard about this place. Tell me, what it's is a, it? It's a, a rare, rarely known Swedish furniture brand. Really? Yeah, Very big, niche, big stores, and it's designed like a game. No. Yeah, it's designed like a game. It's got a map. Given a gap, you, you go on this quest. You get teased of what you could have at the end, <laughs> and you have to follow this route. And there's little shortcuts you can take as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to carry a you box of You have to fuel pencils. up. Carry a box yeah, of pencils. Yeah, so you can get some food, some drink, to carry stuff around, pick stuff up, carry it with you, take it with you to the end as a final destination, a final boss, the till. Then and, then you, and then you've completed it. You're done. Is that, have you, how often have you actually been to Ikea? That sounds like optimistic. <laughs> I know. Because you get trapped in there. It's actually a very difficult game. Actually, coming back to the Joie de Vivre, probably some of the most depressed moments of my entire life have been at Ikea. It can be really horrible. Yeah. It's the wor- in my <laughs> mind, the worst experience. You go with someone that you used to love. <laughs> who insists that you go to Ikea. You start to question that love immediately. <laughs> you think, what day? It's, a, it's eight o'clock on a Thursday evening and now you're, you're now asking me, shall we go to Ikea? Mm. And you're thinking, I do mm-hmm. not want to go. Then you go there, but without a sufficient list. Mm. So it, it is a quest, mm. but with no defined ending. No, exactly. But worse, the shallow bribery of meatballs. Yeah. As if, so, no, I go to work, I get paid. Someone takes me out for dinner, I get a nice dinner. Are you really thinking I'm going to fall for this ridiculous meatballs bribe? I, I am not. Every time, though. Never. I, I fall for no. meatballs every bribe. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I mandated I'm not going anymore unless there's a fixed list. It adds a logical element to it in that, oh yeah, we're going to need lunch anyway, aren't we? So yeah, might as well do that Ikea and pick some stuff up. It's the logic. It adds some logic to the trip. Do you not look laterally at the people there and think this is where relationships go to die? I think you can go in loving someone and then quickly work out that you have entirely different ideas about what interior should look like. Yeah, I've just remembered something. I know someone that I used to go to school with who got engaged at Ikea. No oh, way. Just, I'm so sorry. I've just slightly slipped into the back of my throat. <laughs> Wait, no, where, where in Ikea? And I don't know, as I asked that, where the appropriate place is or less appropriate place is. I, I think it was by the bedroom section. 
how are we supposed to put this podcast out with this, kind of, this terrible trash we've created today? I mean, at least there was an engagement, I guess. I would have said no if I'd been proposed to it like yeah. 100%. I said, look, it, Paris is only an hour and a half away, pal. Get me there. <laughs> this wasn't the trip to do it on. Yeah, Chris also, Chris actually lied on his proposal day. Do you know that? Wait, yeah. Hang on, I feel like you told me this. I think I told this on the podcast maybe yeah, before. Yeah. His yeah. biggest lie he's ever told was when he got married. It wasn't in Ikea though. Well, that's good. It, was, it? it was just that I didn't have the ring. Yeah. yeah. It was in Dalby. Lord yeah. of the Ring. Lord of the Ring. <laughs> Bringing us back to Joie de Vivre, we should wrap up our podcast. But Jonna, first, tell us a little bit more about how we're sparking that Joie de Vivre in clients. Well... I'm going to say that our whole customer approach is around this kind of energy. We've been a bit silly today, but silly and sensible. Light and dark, high and low. I, I do think that our relational approach to cli- clients, we, we try not to be too professional. We are professional, but we don't try to be professional. And I think that that's a lot of the energy and the buzz that people get from working with the team at IW. Possibly also related to what I was just, I'm realising about resourcing is that because everyone here is not fully, fully under the cosh all the time, slightly resentful about their employer, then there is this scope and capacity to follow a flight of fancy or an opportunity and get involved in something. So the the, the way we work, I think, gives people a good sense of our, our client um, energy. And the other part is, is that a lot of the work we do, especially leadership development, involves really clear thinking. And partly why I like hiring people who've got philosophy degrees uh, and very smart thinkers like Rachel, is that when we're asked to propose a programme, oh, could you help us teach leaders in our organisation? We have to avoid all of the cliches and all of the wishy-washy thinking mm. around what makes a good leader. We're just working on a programme about a, a culture change programme. We've got to avoid all of the cliches. People have been on these programmes before. They've, they've worked for other companies. They've been on change programmes. They know that we are going to be tell them that the current system is coming to an end and there's a burning bridge and it's going to be the end of the world. Therefore, we have to change to do this SAP integration or whatever else. But in a new world, it's going to be unbelievably phenomenal and nothing's ever going to go wrong. It's going to give us everything we've ever wanted. And, and kind of, there's a lot of kind of wishy-washy corporate thinking. There's also, I don't know which way to look, but there's the whole self-improvement people. So I've got to think about how I sleep, how I drink, how I eat, how, who I socialise with, what time I get up, what time I go to bed. There's an enormous self-help world out there. And actually, a ton of this stuff, it's a little bit overload in a way. And so what we're trying to do when we're working with clients, let's say we're doing a leadership programme or change programme, we've got to distill down all the possibilities of what we could do down into the smallest set of brilliant things that are going to have the most leverage, the smallest number of changes to get the biggest possible impact, the simplest possible change to get the best possible outcome, and also think about all the communications wraparounds. So, for example, the uh, the burning bridge analogy that if we don't change, um, our company's going to fail. Like, if you've worked in business for 10 years, you've heard that about six times. So then when someone else comes along and says, this is why our company has to change, you're like, yeah, I've heard this all before. It's complete rubbish. Uh, probably if we just carry on, we'll just do the same, but a tiny bit worse. Or, you know, you're just trying to push your political agenda. So, you know, we're, we're used to thinking through with uh, a bit of this, uh, using some of the philosophical skills, some of our critical thinking skills, how to go about the, the learning and development work that we do, not just using all the cliches and all the stuff from the self-help people. Mm, which would be easy to do. Oh, well, that's so not easy. what we're doing. There's not, and there's nothing wrong with those people. Enjoy it, guys. <laughs> yeah. But if you're going to pay really good money for learning and development, yeah, you, you want to you you're want to get really some good different thinking. Yeah. Brilliant. 
Thank you, Jonna. Thank you, Rachel, for Thank joining you. the show. Uh, if you've liked this episode, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We love seeing those subscribers. You can also review the podcast and we love getting those five-star reviews. We've seen all of those to date. Yeah, all three of those. <laughs> it's more than three, Jonna. We've got That's loads. my yeah. mum and my dad yeah. and yeah. my sister. Yeah. yeah, if you're a parent of anyone on the podcast currently, could you uh, yeah give it that review? Yeah. <laughs> we could have a parent's phone in, actually. <laughs> Hotline. <laughs> Yeah, we absolutely could. We need to get your mum on the show, Jonna. She's going to come on. Yeah, we'll do it. All right. Thank you both. Thank See you, you next Chris. time, Jonna. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.